This episode is sponsored by our friends at SongTrust. SongTrust is the world's largest technology solution for global music publishing, royalty collection, and administration. It was founded to simplify music rights management and to remove complexity from the publishing landscape. SongTrust collects publishing royalties for more than 2 million songs with a community of more than 300,000 songwriters and rights holders. Use promo code PUBCAST20 and sign up for 20% off your SongTrust registration. Hey, AMP Nashville PubCast listeners. Today I sit down with my friend Will Hoffman. He's manager at Shelter Music and of one of my favorite acts, Nothing More. As you may have guessed it, we're talking about rock in Nashville. So we deep dive into this discussion, and my question is, is it finally here to stay? Hey, listeners, here we are again for another episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast, and I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, really excited to be sitting with my friend Will Hoffman with Shelter Music, a manager at Shelter Music. How are you doing, Will? I am doing great. Beautiful day in Nashville. One of the reasons I'm excited to sit with Will is, you know, we expand some of our Nashville scope. Uh, so often we talk about Nashville as country music, and it, it is way more than that here in town. And I'm an old school metalhead rocker. And um, when Will and I reconnected, it was great. Also, I share an affinity for an act he manages that he didn't know. I'm a super fan of Nothing More. You manage Nothing More, which was fun to find out, right? Yeah, and I'm yep. promised new music's coming, so hopefully one day soon we'll get us some new nothing you more. You might, you might get to hear something very, very soon. <laughs> so, not to promote your acts for you, but uh, yeah. I am indeed a, a fan. So, Will, let's just start off, man. Give us a story, like from from your Texas to here. Now that you're you're moved back here, but give us the short bio on how you got from being a, a rock and roll artist into management. Yeah. So I cut my teeth in Austin in, I guess, the second heyday of Austin in the uh, late 80s, 90s, playing music at, at a lot of the great places uh, there, Black Cat Lounge and Steamboat as an artist. And uh, about, I don't know, six years into that band, we actually finally got good at what we did. Um, that was when, uh, I guess, our second manager was uh, Bill Ham. He got us a, a record deal with Clive Davis and... Uh, at Arista, and I call uh, Push Monkey, my band back then, uh, Clive Davis's new metal mistake. Um, it was a, uh, we were really great at some things. Lyrics and songwriting um, was lagging behind some of the other great attributes of this band, but we got to, you know, tour all around. Uh, we did things like OzFest in 1999. Um, we opened for Godsmack when they were breaking and other things like that. But I mean, the, it was a real amazing education, though. Um, you know, learning from Bill Ham, learning from Clive Davis, learning from great producers like Mike Clank, uh, who did all the Guns N' Roses stuff, if you didn't know that. Um, and I transitioned out of that, you know, sort of with some overlap into producing records um, out of Austin, um, was developing bands, developed a band called Flyleaf that went on to, you know, some platinum success. And um, got a couple other bands signed and things like that, and and then started managing um, a band called Sounds Under Radio that I got signed to Epic Records. Went through the major label Meat Grinder, record never comes out, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's heard that sob story a million times. But I just continued to learn and continue to develop, and that was my first foray into management, and that was in you know the mid-2000s. And uh, after that, I just like really got 
into managing. And I, I realized that that was what I wanted to do. I didn't want to make records and chase the next record. I wanted to stick with artists for a long time and, and be with them as their careers develop. It's kind of self-serving, as I, I might have mentioned at the front end of this, is that uh, I'm just really a fan of, of rock music as well as country. I've done country for 30 years, but I grew up uh, playing in rock bands and stuff. And and what I thought would be fun for this is, you know, typically we deal with independent music publishers because that is the AIMP. But I knew that you were involved on the writing side. You've been involved as a producer and as a manager. And I don't think people know... Um, I, I, there's always been an underground. I've, I moved here in '88. Like, there's always been this scene of, of rock music, and um, like you said, Austin's kind of coming waves. Like in the uh, the '90s, like you were mentioning, like there was a thriving rock scene down there. Um, Fastball and some of these other cool little acts were popping out of there, which is why Bill got involved in it because uh, he was our main office was based out of Austin, Texas. But now Nashville seems to be a place I see more and more people coming. Like you guys' main office at Shelter, you have Nashville and LA offices, but the Nashville office is very thriving and growing. Um, so I'll throw the question out. Do you see Nashville as a up and coming in the rock scene, at least on the infrastructure side? Uh, or do you see acts as well? And honestly, I feel like it's past the up and coming stage. I feel like it's it's here. Um, the amount of, you know, whether it's, you know, Steve-O at Atlantic who moved here, you know, several years before me, um, definitely a rock guy, you know, NR for, you know, Shinedown, Paramore. Um, Tom Storms is a rock guy, you know, um, here at Shelter, like, like pretty much, uh, you know, had a legendary A&R career at Atlantic as well. And um, is an incredible manager of, of rock. Um, and uh, Scott McGee's got an amazing rock background. I mean, the guy has been all over the world with some of the biggest rock bands of all time. And so I think that, uh, you know, an attorney that I work with a lot, Nick Ferrara, rock guy and agents all over the place. There's so many great rock agents, you know, at, whether it's at UTA or Willie Morris or CAA. Um, they're here, you know, it's, I think as a city, when you actually really start coming here a lot, as more and more rock people have done over the last 10 years, you really start to recognize how the benefits of the density of the city, you know, like where you can bump into just about anybody at any moment. Uh, that doesn't happen in New York or LA. It definitely doesn't happen in Austin, Texas, but uh, it's not, that density is, is powerful. And the lifestyle is wonderful. You know, um, the fact that you can go to a, sh you know, go home, eat dinner with your family, go to the show, come back home and be in bed by 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. It's pretty freaking sweet. That didn't happen. <laughs> that didn't happen in London, LA or New York. So uh, it's, it's a kind place to be. So I think it's, uh, yeah, I think the rock people are here. I think we're, you know, I don't know if we're able to ever catch up to country, but uh, um, we're here and we all seem to know each other. So it's, it's the whole reason E.T. introduced me to you, you know, um, that was a couple of years ago. And um, the rock and metal people, you know, when you go to the rock show, we're all there, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, that's the way to be. So let's let's talk. I know there's some some differences, you know, in, in the Nashville way, if you find a young artist uh, uh, and you're looking at signing them, it typically 
they end up at a publishing company first. And why? Because we as publishers are the manager. Like we are very involved in developing the career. We get involved in helping them find their agents. Like we're ground zero typically in Nashville. Now in the rock scene, I feel that that's a little bit different where publishing's not nearly as involved in the development of artists, at least from my perspective in general. That's where you guys as managers come in is that it's more you need to get a manager first to really help navigate that that part of your early career. Would I be wrong in that assumption? Uh, no, I think I think in a lot of ways you're right. I think rock in general is heading in the direction of I guess it's just a little slower in moving towards the, you know, like blowing it up online, blowing it up on the DSPs on your own um, and attracting attention that way. It is definitely headed in that direction, just a little bit slower than the rest of the industry. Um, but going back to the songwriting thing, songwriting for rock artists is almost never, hey, we're looking for songs. I mean, that just is that's a one in a thousand kind of thing. It just doesn't really happen. It's barely, I'd say, well, not barely. It's it, it the co-writing thing in rock. I would say has only become okay, cool, you know, a great uh, idea for your business and a great uh, and and not a, I guess a uh, a ding on your credibility. Um, only in the last five or ten years has co-writing been something that you don't want to keep a secret, you know. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's something that like Aerosmith was never shouting out about Desmond Child writing a ton of their hits. You know, everybody wanted to think it was Aerosmith. Um, and and um, and yeah, Ozzy had lots of co-writers and stuff like that. But that kind of stuff was was really kept secret and guarded, I feel like. And about 10 years ago, that starts to change. And um, yeah, I think I think rock is still about the identity it's about the image it's about the live show it's about a lot of things but just like anything in the music business it always comes down to the songs and so if you don't have them at some point or another you're probably screwed you know i mean there are bands that definitely get away with not having great songs their identity is so great uh, and their imaging is so great, um, or the culture that they build around them from a touring side is so great that they get away with not having great songs. But the bands that I think are the most successful have in rock have songs and uh, and their live shows and experience. Yeah, I think my history with it, it's been more like particularly on, the, as you mentioned, on the songwriting front, if you're in the genre, the band's. There were more co-writers going on, but it was usually brought under the darkness of night in the studio. Somebody come in to help tweak out the songs and they didn't always show up as credited on the, the, the artist thing. But it does seem like they've opened up to uh, just like Nashville, like it's OK to get co-writers and make it stronger and make it better. And, and there was an influx there for a while, like uh, Three Days Grace came into town and started writing and Hinder came into town, started writing and were releasing records that uh, had rights with like Craig Wiseman and some of the, the Nashville guys, Ashley Gorley would show up on it because at the end of the day, songwriting, songwriting and if helping guys improve that is never a bad thing. So it's cool to see that that's that that's opened up. But on the side of what's usually the relationship that you see as, as, a, as a manager of some of these up and coming acts and as well as your established guys with the, the publishers, because this is kind of a publisher podcast. So is there is what's that relationship look like for you in general? 
Yeah, I think when you deal with band, with with rock, you're so often dealing with a band and injecting a writer into a band scenario is a little bit more complicated than injecting it into, um, I think, other genres, you know, where there's just fewer people in the room in general. Um, so much of what comes out of rock bands writing is uh, tends to come out of just more people. They tend to be more egalitarian in in that everybody is involved. I think what would be typical or happen more often would be that the singer is writing, you know, lyric and melody, but, you know, you're more often just running into this egalitarian vibe. And so the kind of guys uh, and women that fit into those scenarios are the ones are often come from bands themselves. A great, great writers like uh, Scott Stevens, um, who uh, writes with nothing more. He writes with uh, Hailstorm. He writes with Shinedown. He is, a fantastic writer. He was in a, a killer '90s band called the Exes. He knows how to do it, and he knows how to walk into a band vibe and um, and be comfortable, you know, and um, be part of the team. And you have to be patient with rock bands. Um, there's often people that are not natural writers in in the room. There's people that are often not not natural musicians in the room that might be in there because of their character, their vibe, their work ethic. Rock bands can often get away with carrying that kind of weight around with them. And those guys are in the room. And so you got to be able to roll with that. It's just a different, a different thing. Well, bands in general usually come together because they have a sonic quality to them. There's something that separates them and, and songwriting may not. And when I talk, I'm talking about the lyrical content more specifically, to be honest, on this combo is is you sometimes can take a backseat. Not always, but it's it's that sound that they bring to the table. So you're right. It's more of a hang. And I mean, it's like that in the R&B and hip hop world as well, where it is a it's a very collaborative, different element where there can be a bunch of dudes in a studio creating different parts of whatever that song's going to be, whether it's the beat, the lyric, and the hype guy, or whatever that is. So it's it's interesting as a guy that's worked in Nashville for 30 years to see how each one of those can be unique into themselves. and what is working on on new acts like if for the, the audience out there they might be looking or maybe there's a young band out there listening to this like what is it you would give them advice are you going to the dsps are you looking at the streaming numbers or in or if you're developing a young act i would you know i i would say that in general and i think rock's still there it's a grind it's a go out build the audience like you know you're selling out the whatever venue in your your hometown and you're building it that way but obviously there's the admin of social media i'm a TikTok guy i don't know if i see as many rock bands on that like as much as i have in the pop and country world now but what's your take on on that in the current marketplace it is tough to um to develop a rock band um it takes a long ass time before you have a business there so the one thing i would say is that um, I am incredibly slow to move on something um, because I'm looking at investing, you know, a couple of years uh, um, before there's even a sniff of making money that's worthy of the investment of time. So I think that that's and that's getting worse and worse and worse. It's getting harder and harder and harder. Um, and I think 
you know, I think it's because what you're saying, like, if you look at bands that are, are blowing up, nobody's blowing up on Instagram or Facebook or, or, you know, or I don't know, you remember Dashboard Confessional, like 20 years ago was the band that blew up on MySpace, you know, it just keeps moving from one social media to, to the next. And now it's TikTok, of course. And yeah, I don't think there's many rock bands that are good at TikTok. I haven't heard of a single rock act that's good at TikTok, honestly, that's blown up from that space. They're just not, there's plenty of artists that are, they're just not rock. Well, for me personally, I'm still hearing about things from word of mouth. And, uh, you know, I'll hear something and I'll get excited about it and then I'll forget about it. And I'll know it wasn't for me. And, you know, the, the last band that I signed was a band called the Luca State from the UK that got to me, you know, from a, an amazing drummer named Jimmy Craig, who was in a band I used to manage. And I just couldn't get the record out of my head. I just couldn't stop listening to it. And the singer has this vibe that was so strong that, you know, you could hear it in his throat. You could hear it in his lyrics and you could tell where he was from. You could tell who he was all from just listening to this record. And, you know, I watched live videos of him and I just couldn't stop. I couldn't get away from it. And that's to me how it works. Um, the chances of like, just like doing research, um, for me, that's such a needle in a haystack approach um, that I just don't have the time to do that, frankly. I, uh, so I'm going to ask you the question. I'll pose it this way. Say I'm young Tim and I'm in a rock band. And I, I, the question I get at panels all the time, well, how do I get to you? You say it's word of mouth, but what should I be doing to make sure I'm in a position to get? And if, if I get your ears, it makes you go, man, I, I need to work with those guys. I mean, I guess I'm looking for advice you give to a young act right now in that in this space on how to get their name out there obviously touring i mean we can't avoid the elephant in the room last year touring you sucked so that obviously wasn't working and it's coming back and i think that'll pick back up but uh what is it what is it and how is it that they are should be uh working to uh get to the next level uh, for new acts out there well i would say that it's relentlessness and it's and it and it's relent it's intelligent relentlessness though uh, because if you are if you you need to try you need to get as many at bats as you can and that's that's with songs it's with shows it's with writing emails to music executives and attorneys managers agents lawyers you need to generate as many awesome reasons to get in touch with that person as you can. You need to hustle and find out like it is not rocket science to figure out my email. I work at a company called Shelter Music. It's sheltermusic.com. My name is Will Hoffman. If you can't figure out like what my email is, like, like that's fucked up. Like, like, like it's will at sheltermusic.com or it's will.hoffman at sheltermusic.com or something like that. It's not hard to like if you just think about it. And the thing that I think young people get hung up on is you know that there's some kind of magic switch out there like i gotta find i'm, I'm gonna spend a year looking for the magic switch and it's not about that it's just about you know i'm gonna make the song and i and, and and i'm gonna make it great and i'm gonna make a video and I'm make it great and i'm gonna get it out of my social media and then i'm gonna tell somebody about it and um, once you find that first believer that's really in the business it's easier to find the second one. I, I think finding the first one is 
really hard and finding the second one is really hard. And after that, it starts to get a little easier to get a team around you, but you, but it's earned, it's earned through work ethic and it's earned, you know, through actually doing good work. Hey, thanks for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. We hope you subscribe in your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to stay up to date and informed in the world of music publishing and song. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is created by executive producers Del Bobo and yours truly, Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks again for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Yeah.